This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to read today from 1 Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27. I've got things all over the place. So hopefully I'll get a little bit more focused and oriented. 1 Colossians 1.27, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So over the last number of weeks, we've been focusing on really the way that God designed us. And in a nutshell, I just want to cover it just because it becomes, it lays the playing field that we're going to kind of move into. And so we have an understanding. When he created man, he created man of matter. He took stuff and created man's body. And having created man's body, he gave man a brain, which is part of matter so that he could function effectively in a world situation. But man really is spirit in nature. That's what he is. And the very heart or the center of spirit is the mind. The mind is that which gives us our identity, our personality. It gives us the prerogative of making decisions to determine who we are. It gives us the ability to create. That determines who we are. You're not just a nebulous mass of floating stuff out there called spirit. At the very heart of who you are, the mind of who you are is determining who you are and how you live. It becomes you, the person. When God took that and he breathed it into body, man became a living soul. A living soul is a comprehensive entity. It is spirit with mind inside of body that has a brain. And all of those things operate cohesively as a single unit called a living soul. (sighs) Okay, you see, if you had just come for that, you could have missed five weeks worth. How about that? I want to go somewhere today, and we've kind of touched the surface of some things, but I want to get a little bit deeper today, okay? I I want to start getting a little bit under the surface of some of these things. And so we're going to go on a journey. One thing that's always been important for me is to understand, please hear what I'm saying, to, to, to try and comprehend who God is and how he works. Not in the fullness of it, but I think what it does do is it creates an opportunity for us to step into how he's created us to operate with him. So when we hear certain things, it's easy for us to get excited about it. But like, what does it actually mean and how do we walk into that so it becomes a practical expression? Let me give you an example. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I mean, everybody's going to celebrate that. That's wonderful. We love to have Christ. How does Christ get in you? And so that's really what I want to explore today. And I want to take the scenic route. So we're going to kind of take it and we're going to meander along because I want to be sure that along the journey, what we're doing is we're filling in all the little pieces and we're adding enough color to it so that when we end up in the destination that we're going to, which might surprise you, but you'll understand how we got there and why we got there. the glorious riches of the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glorious riches of the mystery. The riches of the mystery is the place where the church should live. 
The church's function is to move to a place where we're beginning to understand and we're getting revelation and a depth of knowledge about what the mystery is. And the church's responsibility to a large extent is to be able to take the truth of what that is and to be able to present it to the body so that it moves the body in a direction where it grows us up. And so the mystery and understanding the mystery and stepping into a depth of knowledge and understanding of that becomes really important to who we are. Getting back to the original discussion, it's important that we understand this. We're created as two beings. Uh, sorry, we're two parts to a single being. And so the thing is, in my humanity and as a natural being, God created me with something called a brain. Say hallelujah for the brain. You know what? We all need a brain. And the thing about it is, even as born again believers, the thing that's important is understand this. There is still going to be a natural world which you need to engage. You are still going to be a husband or a wife. You're going to be a father, potentially, or a mother, whatever you're going to be. You're going to be involved in work. There are things you're going to have to do. And so we can't just sit and say we're going to discount everything to do with the natural world and just live in a spiritual dimension because your, your, your life is going to end up in a, in a chaotic situation. We're to live in both. So God gives us a brain to function effectively in the natural realm. The thing about it is when we're operating in that dimension, the things that become important to us and the substance that really makes us function effectively is knowledge and understanding. The more knowledge you have about the world, about your job, about raising kids, about whatever it might be, the more you're equipped to actually move into that dimension more effectively. The more knowledgeable you are, the more valuable become, you become in a natural equation. The reason that the CEO gets more money than an entry-level position is because of the value that they deliver. The thing about it is, from the natural point of view, because you have knowledge and understanding, what becomes important in that dimension is productivity. Productivity. What can you produce? What can you do? What can you make happen in your life? There is an onus and a responsibility on you to do something with who you are and to produce something in the natural realm. You have skills, you have abilities, you have knowledge, you have understanding, you have history. All of those things cumulatively contribute to positioning you in a place where you're able to produce effectively in life to varying degrees, hopefully more successfully than not. But that's the natural dimension. Understand this, we don't just operate in one dimension. I heard a very interesting analogy this week and I loved it, I thought it was really good. Life is like playing Monopoly. So the thing is, if you're a natural being, you're going to love the game of Monopoly because every time you pass begin, you get $200. So you're building up your wealth. You're accumulating and amassing capital. Then it gives you the opportunity to buy streets. And the more streets you get, the more money you get. And the more money you get, the more houses you put on. And the more houses you put on, the more it puts you in a place where your revenue increases and your bonds are getting full. And you have the opportunity to put hotels on places. And all kinds of stuff are happening. And you love the game of Monopoly. And then you say, just excuse me one minute. I just got to run to the restroom. I'll be right back. And off you go. And when you get back, you know what? They finished the game. And they closed it all up. And they've put away the money and they've put away the dice and they've put away the streets and they've put away the houses and they've put away the hotels and it's all gone. That's what happens with the natural realm. You in here for a moment and it is not a bad thing. Enjoy it. But understand this. 
There is a terminal point, and at some point the game ends. And when the game ends, everything goes back in the box. And the only thing left is the, invested, the investment that we've made in the spiritual dimension. We're straddling two dimensions. Don't put all your investments. It's a fundamental of investing. Put, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't live purely for the natural realm and exclude the spirit realm. So if we're going to move into the spirit realm, we have to understand how that operates to be effective in it because it's very different to the natural realm. In the spirit realm, we don't operate by the brain. In the spirit realm, we operate by the heart or the mind, the very center of our spiritual being, that which God has given us free will to be able to choose who it is that you want to be, how it is that you want to live, what you want to be about. You have the choice, but at the very center of spiritual things for you is your heart, your mind. So when you read through the Bible and God speaks about mind or heart, he's talking about you. Anytime he says heart, he's, he's talking to me. He's talking to my identity. He's talking to who I am. He's not talking to your brain. But in that capacity, we don't operate by knowledge and understanding. We operate by relationship and revelation. This is where we struggle so much because as natural people, we're so comfortable in the realm of knowledge and information and it translates into productivity. And so when we try to move into the spiritual dimension, we think what I can do is if I can gather knowledge and information, I can do some stuff for God. And God says, that's not how the spirit realm works. The spirit realm operates by the mind, through relationship, through revelation, and it births life in you. Do you know what that means? This is what it means. We have to make a shift. The shift is hard for our culture. As an American culture, we are raised with productivity. We are raised to esteem, knowledge, education. All of those things have their place. The problem with it is it raises people who are proficient when it comes to functionality. We are functionally so good at what we do and we are so productive at what we do and we are so successful at it. But you know what we're not always great at? Relationship. The challenge with it is productivity counts for nothing in the spirit realm. God doesn't need your productivity. What he's saying is, I want for you to come to a place in a spirit realm where you recognize who I am and you're able to build connection in that space. Because in that space, you and I are able to relate and to interact with one another. It becomes fundamental because once that begins to take place, something called revelation happens. Revelations, the, the, um, the breakdown of the word is, comes from re, which is again, and revoli, which means to uncover or to disclose. Ultimately, what revelation means is the manifestation of a divine truth. It's the manifestation. It's not showing you a divine truth. It's manifesting a divine truth. You know what he's talking about? He's sitting saying in the concept of relationship, in the idea of spiritual connection, it positions us at a place where as we live out of intimacy with the Holy Spirit, it allows the Holy Spirit to take spiritual truth and to be able to place that on the inside of us so that it takes form. It has substance. It's not a concept but it only gets birthed 
as a result of our, our ability to be able to connect with him. Relationship becomes fundamental, a fundamental principle to how we operate in the spirit realm. And so when we begin to operate in that space and we want to operate there effectively, what it requires of us is an investment in relationship, not productivity. We can never do what God can do. That's not what we're trying to do. We recognize him for who he is and we're moving into a space where, where we are allowing him to bring about redefinition and introduce us to who he is and what he's all about. The message of the New Testament is not I but Christ. That's the message of the New Testament. It has nothing to do with what I know. It has nothing to do with my ability. It has nothing to do with my productivity. It has nothing to do with my experience. It has everything to do with him. That's what the New Testament is consumed with. And it's not just about understanding some kind of philosophy or even a truth. It's about moving into a place where that becomes an experiential reality for who we are. Stop trying to do something for Jesus. He's not asking you. It sounds so good. And it's so religious. He's not asking you to do anything for him. What he's asking you to do is, he's sitting, can, can you step out of one dimension into the next? Because when you move into that place and you begin to recognize it's not about me, but it's about him, things will change. My opinion is not as important anymore. And how I think things should be are not as important anymore. It becomes about him. The fullness of the word of God in you, the fullness is Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. That's the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So let's begin to look at that a little bit and begin to dissect it. Hope of glory. Hope is an anticipation, an expectation. Hope of glory. Glory is a word that is a comprehensive word that really speaks about the person and the presence of God. Mm -hmm. What it's saying is this. Christ in me affords me the opportunity to participate in glory which is the presence of the person of God in me. That's what he's inviting us into. He wants us to become aware of the fact that you are a temple. You are a temple. What makes a temple is not the architecture. I love the steeples and I love the grandeur and I love the stained glass windows, but that's not what makes a temple. And you move into a place and you look at it and you look at the pews and you look at how beautifully it's put together and you have a look at the way that they've make, made the inside so ornate and they have all kinds of fixtures and all kinds of fe features and they have candles and they have incense and they have all kinds of stuff. But it doesn't make the church. What makes the church is the presence of the person of God. When the presence leaves, the building stays. What he's saying is this, things have changed. Yeah. 
Because Jesus came on the scene and what it means is this, is that God is no longer in a temple built with human hands. He is built, he has put himself in the holy of holies of a temple made of flesh. That's you. Do you know what the holy of holies is? Are you ready? Your heart. He's wanting to get into you. You can get born again and you can have him and his nature will come and redefine the spirit. But more than that, he's sitting saying, I want to redefine who you are. I want to go further than that. I want you to become a new creation in Christ. He's changing some stuff about us. Why? Because what he can do is much more than what I can do. His vision is much bigger than my vision. His ability is much bigger than my ability. If I'm to live from him, I expand the capacity of my life enormously. I come with limitations. He doesn't. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Where are we going to go from this? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. When he speaks about Christ in you, there are two ways that we can have a look at that. And there are two approaches that we can take to Christ in me. If we take a natural approach, what we try to do is we try to approach that from the perspective of my brain. So what I do is I try to understand it and gain knowledge about it. But he's not asking you to move to a place where you know about who he is. He's asking you to approach it from your mind so that you can move into a place where the Holy Spirit can actually build him into you and you can become that. He's not asking what you, he's not asking you to look like Christ. He's asking you to be Christ. There's a big difference. So many Christians are operating from the perspective where they, they're trying to understand God, know him from their brain, because then they get an idea and a grid as to who God is and what his expectation is. And they try to live that way because I want to be a good Christian. I want to look like Christ. He didn't call you to be natural. He's saying, I need you to approach spiritual things from a spiritual perspective. Approach it from the perspective of your heart and allow the Holy Spirit to do some stuff on the inside of you that makes you you knew it changes who I am you know what it means it means it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me I'll tell you what that means at a practical point of view it means you spent your life determining who you are in many areas you've thought about it you've had experiences you've used your senses you've used your thinking you've used your evaluation you've used your education all of those things have determined who you are to a greater or lesser degree what he's saying is it's no longer you who live any way that you've defined yourself in that space when i come into that area i want you to sit and say that's inconsequential make space make space make space because christ is coming in What's saying is, where do you put the priority of your life on how I feel, on what I want to do, on what I think about stuff? Or do I sit and say, all of that's immaterial. I'm opening myself up and I'm making myself available. It's no longer I who live. Christ come into this place. 
It's about a redefinition of who I am. It changes fundamentally who I am and it'll shift your life. Abraham was without an heir. No kids. Abraham's looking for a son. God wasn't going to meet him in his need. God met him in his identity. God never sat and said, oh, you know what? I'll just give you a child. He said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. He, didn't, he wasn't interested in the son. The son was a means to an end. He introduced him to, this is who you are. Come outside and look at the stars. See those stars. That's what you're going to be like. That's what your offspring is going to look like. You talk about the sands of the, uh, the, 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 the sand of the, the whatever. That's what, your, that's what your, your, your lineage is going to look like. He's introducing him to his, to his, his character, his identity, who he's supposed to be. When you live from that, what ends up happening is you have a different expectation to life. And you look for some things that you weren't looking for beforehand. When he comes in and defines that space, it changes our vision. So we see things and see life from his perspective. It doesn't only come and create vision, but it also brings with it the enabling to make sure that that happens. That doesn't happen with my identity. It happens with his. It happens with his. Anytime we spend our lives trying to interact with God purely from our brain, it comes at the expense of our destiny. Your destiny is about who you are becoming, not what you know. If you approach God with your brain, all you're going to end up with is a whole bunch of knowledge about God. God's more interested in who you are becoming. There's nothing wrong with the brain. It'll give you logic and it'll give you some understanding to God. But unless you're able to move to a deeper level, unless you're able to engage that part of you that actually defines who you are and you can build relationship with God, what ends up happening is I never become, I, all, all I ever do is I know. That's the frustration with so many Christians. Because I can never walk into the promises of what he has for me. I know about them, but they're not real. You know why? Because they live in your head and not in your heart. Our heart becomes important. When we speak about our heart, we're speaking about something which is fundamental. Because we're talking about the foundation of my life. What I've tried to do over the last few weeks is speak a lot about how important and how inextricably linked our identity is to the way that we live. When Abraham saw himself as the father of many nations, it changed the way that he saw his paradigm. It changed everything because he saw things from a different perspective. He lived in the expectation of some stuff happening that he never lived in the expectation of before. John 6.63 says, The Spirit gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Do you know what another way of saying that is? When we're going to work together, put the natural aside. Leave your brain over there. Because the flesh profits nothing. It's not going to change you. 
We're dealing with spiritual things here. And in the spirit realm is where life is going to happen. In the spirit realm is where something fundamental is going to take place on the inside of you. That's why when, when Peter said, you are the Christ, what did Jesus say? Blessed are you. Why was he blessed? Because he had moved to a place where he had stepped outside of brain and he had stepped into mind and was suddenly like, whoa, something moved on the inside of me. Something was established on the inside of me. A new part to my foundation came in there, which wasn't in there before. What did he say? On this rock, I'm going to build my church. What he's saying to you is this. Every time we have a revelation of who he is, every time we have an impartation of who he is, he's adding another element to our foundation. Our foundation becomes fundamental because that's what we build off of. Our foundation needs to be about him, not about me. Not about me. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. If the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, it'll make alive your mortal body. Do you know what it's saying? The things that is on the inside of you, the foundation that establishes the life that truly defines your being is what's going to come out and define your world. The Bible is full of it. From the abundance of the the mouth speaks. As a man thinketh in his, so is he. The course of your life comes from your heart. Everything comes from the center of your being. If you want to change the center of your being, you will change the direction and the future of your life. That's where it all comes from. Everything it moves to that place. That's the most sacred space to God. That's why God is really looking at that because he understands full well that everything lives and moves and has its being in your life from that center point. In that place is where he's looking to have intimacy and connection because to change the foundation of that is to change the trajectory of your life. That's why when we're talking about having relationship to God in a very meaningful way, what he's saying is, how do you relate to me in different situations? I don't have an heir. Okay. That's your reality. How do we relate to God in that space? Because something has to give definition to who you are. And I have a choice in that place to sit and say, I, you know, I'm one of those fatherless people. Or I have the choice to sit and say, I'm the father of many nations. What defines the foundation of who we are is going to determine the course of your life. It becomes so important to us. Foundation is so important to God. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. He's wanting to build your life on a foundation which is established by him because the potential that exists in that is so much greater than anything that we could do. So how is he going to do that? In two ways. The first thing he's going to do is he's going to affect your character. He's going to take who he is and he's going to impart it to you through something called the fruit of the spirit. It's things that you can only get when they are birthed in you. You can't make them happen. Tell somebody to be peaceful. See if you can create it. See if productively you can make it happen. You can't. There's nobody sits and says peace isn't a good thing. It's just that it's not accessible to me. Why? Because I can't make it happen. It's something that's birthed. It's birthed of him. 
God didn't say that your situations are going to change like that or you're not going to have conflict or issues. What he says is, I'm going to birth in you peace. I was speaking to somebody the other day and it's, they were head of a big company and they were like, you know, my biggest problem in life is I can't tell you the stress and the pressure. I can't tell you how challenging it is. I can't tell you how hard it is because I have lived with this angst all the time. And I said, I mean, that must be terrible. But I said, let me ask you, did it change anything? And they were like, no. I said, I don't mean for this to be trite. But I said, maybe that's your challenge. It didn't change anything. But you know what? Physiologically, it does a whole lot. Number one killer of people. Peace, something I get from him. Joy, self-control. These are wonderful things. That's all part of who he is. And what he's saying is, I'm interested in who you are becoming, not what you know. I'm wanting to birth this stuff into you. Only I can birth it and give it life. You can't make it happen. You can't make it happen. This is why Christ is so important. Because the world doesn't have access to this. He's going to change who you are so that from a personal point of view, in terms of my character and what I'm about, I move into dimensions of experiencing him as I walk through life. Things that are born of the Spirit. But he's not only going to give you his nature and his character, he's going to do something else in you. He's going to give you a plan. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, 11:29. 29:11. It's one of those. Take your pick. You can check them both out. For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a? I know the thoughts I think towards you. Do you know what he's saying? You don't get to determine the course of your life. I do. I know the thoughts and I have a plan for your life. Too many people have never asked God for the plan for their life. They run around determining the plan for their life. And you know what they do? They ask God to bless it. And then they get very upset because the blessing doesn't arrive the way that they short. But you know what? We've never gone back to the original place. Hey, you know what? I value and I honor you so much that out of relationship with you, Father, talk to me about what is your plan? Who should I marry? Where should I work? What should I do? People tell me plans for their lives and I'm thinking, that's interesting because there's no spiritual consideration. He knows the plans he has for you. He knows the plans he has for you. So it affords us the opportunity to go and get together with him and sit and say, tell me your plan. Tell me your plan for me. Because when you give me your plan, what ends up happening is I get something called a dream. I get a dream. You know what a dream is? Dream is purpose that comes laced with passion. That's a dream. It's purpose laced with passion. 
It's not something which is just some random thought, an idea, a potential. Gee, that could be nice, whatever. That's not going to sustain you. A dream is something that is so much a part of who you are. It's born of a substance that's on the inside of you. And what I would say to you is the dream comes from what's imparted to you. It's something that's so deep. It is a life that is so much a part of you that it drives you despite everything else that's in opposition to it. Abraham waited 20 years to move into what he was supposed to walk into. 20 years. What sustains you after 20, oh, through 20 years? What sustains you through all the challenges? What sustains you through everybody's opinion and what they think and when you should give up? And what sustains you is the life that's on the inside of me. If it has no life, it won't last. The reason most people's dreams don't last is because it's got no life. It's a nice idea. I think it would be great. But I start moving out in that direction and I don't have what it is to be able to sustain against the opposition and to move it ahead. There's something on the inside of a dream that just keeps it and moves us. It's living. It's an entity. It has substance on the inside of us. He builds on the inside of us a dream. Because I know the plans I have for you. So if he's going to introduce us to his plan for our life, the question is this. Where does he play a role in all of this? In Matthew chapter 6, he's talking about teaching us how to pray. And he says, this really is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. The number one message that Jesus spoke about was what? The kingdom is here. Do you know what he was saying? Here I am. The kingdom's not a place, the kingdom's not a destination, the kingdom's not an entity, the kingdom is a person. The kingdom is a person, and when the person moves into that space, things begin to change, and things begin to happen. Vision becomes a reality. Things begin to shift and move. Why? Because it comes in with vision, and with purpose, and with plans, and with power, and with authority. That's who he is. What he's saying is, thy kingdom come. Here I am. But he follows right on after that, and he says, Thy will be done. Will becomes important. Why? Because you have the prerogative of choice. The challenge so many Christians run into is that we don't find out the plan. When we don't find out the plan, we're not linked to the will. We're not in unity with him. So we're running off at a tangent looking for God to bless some stuff. And God's like, hello, you're out of will. You're out of will. When he establishes something on the inside of you, it is his will being birthed in us. You will always be congruent and connected to will if it comes from him. That's why it has to come from him because it keeps me in unity with him. I don't run off and just start doing some stuff and looking for God to bless me. I'm connected. He and I moving through life. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
the paradigm for what is going to be introduced to our lives is going to come from heaven, not earth. The template for how things should look has been defined by heaven, not by earth. So what Jesus is saying is this. In essence, in those short sentences, he's saying, I am the kingdom that has come. And if you allow me to move into that space called your heart, it'll define who you are and give you access to all the resources of the heavenly realm and give you the prerogative, uh, uh, the opportunity to introduce heaven to earth. It's all about him. It's all about him. We're going somewhere. Remember, Christ in me, the hope of glory. We're going somewhere. So now we go down, because we're talking about kingdom a little bit. And if you go to John chapter three, in verse three, Jesus says, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom. But then if you jump down to verse five, it says, unless a man be born of the water and born of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. It's not the same thing. He's not being repetitious. This is what he's saying. Unless you get born again and God's life comes and, and his nature is established on the inside and our spirit and our heart is made new and our, his nature is what defines that space, the challenge with it is we never get to see the kingdom. We'll never see it. It's only as a born again believer that you have the spirit on the inside of you who is able to take the things of God and open them up to you. He will show you the kingdom. I can see the kingdom. But unless you get born of the water, water in the in scripture speaks about the word. That's what it speaks about. If you have a look throughout the word, it's, it speaks about water as the word, the washing of the water of the word. Unless you get born of the word and born of the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom. What is he saying? I can move into a space called your spirit, but I want to get into the heart. I want you to take the word and I want you to allow the spirit to impart that to your heart because when he gets that established on the inside of you, what he's going to do is he's going to get Christ established on the inside of you. And when he gets Christ established on the inside of you, it moves me to a place where it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. All of a sudden, I'm not just seeing the kingdom anymore, but I've entered the kingdom. The kingdom is in me. When I move into that place, everything begins to shift. And Jesus says, you are in me and I am in you. That's the place he's looking for. It's more than just being born again. It's about having your mind renewed. That's what renewing the mind is all about. It's about feasting on the spirit. It's about feasting on who he is and allowing the Holy Spirit to take who he is and impart him to us so that we change, our mind changes, our identity changes, and Christ is formed in me. So now I want to just take you to one other thing and then we finished. Ephesians 3 verse 17 says something so interesting. May Christ dwell in your hearts through? What? Read that. May Christ dwell in your heart through faith. 
Let's overlay that with Hebrews 11 verse 1. Faith is the? Of things? Faith is substance for what's hoped for. I want to give you one other scripture and then I'm going to put them all together. John 16 verse 14. It's talking about the spirit of truth. He will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and he will declare it to you. He's going to reveal it to you. Here's what happens. Christ, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Christ wants to get on the inside of you. That's what he's looking to do. Christ is born in you through faith. The Holy Spirit is the one who introduces the things of Christ to us. So this is what happens practically. I begin to develop an intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. I learn how to connect with him and get to know him. I get to recognize his promptings and his influence in my life. And we move to a place of relating to one another from a spiritual dimension. And while we were relating, because I've opened that channel, I've opened the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to take the things of Christ and reveal them to me. Revelation. It's all about, once again, opening up and imparting to me. It's the manifestation of a divine truth. What he's birthing on the inside of me is something of substance. It's Christ that he's taking and he's imparting to me. It's substance. The substance imparted to me is something that we call faith. Faith is a substance. He's just put something on the inside of me that's not of me. Who is it of? It's of him. And that thing that's of him that's been birthed on the inside of me, that substance is called faith. Faith is the substance of things. Okay, so let's go right back to the beginning. The glorious riches of the mystery. Christ in me, the hope of glory. This is what he's saying. When I impart substance on the inside of you, I'm imparting things of Christ. It is substance which is taking up residence on the inside of you. Christ on the inside of you introduces you to the opportunity to partake of his glory, which is the person and the presence of God in me. Your faith has got nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. Faith has nothing to do with anything you conjure up to get something from God. Faith is something which is taken of the spirit. It's the essence of who Christ is being imparted to you with regularity. I'm building substance. I'm building a new foundation. I'm building a different part to who I am. It's Christ getting established on the inside of who I am. A different place to live from because it opens me up to the hope of living from glory. The presence of the person of God. Now in that context, I want you to read a couple of scriptures. 1 John 3 verse 2 and 3. Beloved, we are children of God. Born again, you're a child of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, who is that? Christ. We shall be like him, for we shall see him for who he is. 
That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Your faith has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with who you are. That's why you can't look like God. You have to be Christ. When Christ is established on the inside of you, it gives you a new foundation to live from. And when you live from that foundation, it'll give you a plan. It'll give you a purpose that's charged with passion. Why? Not because you did it, because it's alive on the inside of me. And I don't have to worry about the fulfillment of it because it comes with its own ability to energize and make it happen. John 5 verse 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. It's born of God. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Everything gets back to relationship. Our ability to step out of the natural dimension, have an appreciation and a value for the spiritual dimension. Begin to understand that to operate effectively in the spirit realm, it's going to necessitate and require of me the ability to, be, to develop the skill of relating my ability to be able to relate, to get out of functionality, to get out of productivity, and to move into relational connection. In that space, as I build that up, I put myself at a place where I allow the Holy Spirit to take the things of Christ. And although I don't know ultimately what I'm going to look like, as he begins to reveal those things to me, and I see them, I become them. He puts them on the inside of me. What is he doing? He's building a new foundation to my life. He's building Christ in you, the hope of glory. He's giving you a new place to live from. That's why people who live from faith live from Christ. We move into different paradigms and we live and, and expect different things because we have a different foundation to who we are. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of living in an experiential reality with God because his person and his presence is here. He's taken up residence in the temple. He's in the Holy of Holies. You are the temple. God's going to do incredible things in your life. Do you want it? He's not going to do that. What I think sometimes we think is that God's just going to magically make stuff happen. He's looking for the ability to work with you. The most important thing that you have, which is a barrier to God, is something called free will. At any point, you have the prerogative of closing the door. At any step along the journey, you can sit and say, enough, but no more. That's the only thing. Apart from that, if you go looking, you will find. Amen. Knock and it'll be opened unto you. He's always ready and he's looking. It's going to frustrate you, I will tell you now. And the reason is it has nothing to do with him. It has to do with the fact that we haven't built a proficiency that is relational. We are proficient when it comes to productivity and functionality. But if you take that out of the equation... How proficient are you in terms of relational capability? It becomes fundamental to a, to a meaningful spiritual relationship. Because 
Spiritual truths birth life. They are not manufactured. You cannot produce it. I'll talk about this a little bit more next week. Um, But really what I wanted you to do is, my intention today was for you to understand that Christ in you really translates into God's faith being established in you. That's who Christ is. When you are introduced to the healer and you live from the healer, healing is second nature. When you're introduced to the provider, provision is second nature. Too often what we want to do is we want to look for the provision without trying to discover the provider. We try and find God in our reality as opposed to trying to discover him in our identity. Can we all stand? Just bow your heads for a second. (coughs) Holy Spirit, we welcome you in here this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you respond to hunger. Thank you that you're always looking for open, hungry hearts, people in search of who you are. I want to thank you that you're a God who's not content to live in theology, but you want the truth of who you are to become experiential to us. I pray, Holy Spirit, in the week that lies ahead, that you'll give us an appreciation for the spirit realm, not just the natural. Help us shift so that we begin to develop or further develop the spiritual dimension to who we are and our investment in that. Father, people who are struggling to relate to you, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you meet them in that place And you help them overcome that. Introduce yourself to them in ways that they recognize and can respond to. I thank you that you're raising up a new generation. I thank you that you're raising up a new people. I thank you you're raising up a bunch of people who are filled with Christ in me. I thank you that the true church is coming into manifestation. That we're moving away from the happiness and the joys and the frivolities and the silliness of what it meant to be a Christian. But we're getting reestablished on foundation. I thank you that we're getting grounded in something solid. I thank you that you're birthing plans and purposes and dreams and visions on the inside of people. I want to thank you, Father, for people who are world changers. We bless you for it now, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.